Thank you for tuning into the City Church California podcast. We exist for anyone to believe in God, to become who God created them to be, and to build the church and our city. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast so that you can be updated anytime we add new content. Now let's check out the latest message from our Sunday gathering. so glad to be with you this morning. And we are, we've titled this series, uh, Hearing God. It's a study in Revelation. Specifically, it's a study of the uh, seven letters that Jesus wrote to the seven churches. We're looking at five of them in this series. And so why are we doing a series in Revelation? Um, One of the reasons why is because sometimes there's extreme approaches to the book that kind of limit what it can do in our lives. One is a very extreme approach to Revelation where we're trying to just decipher and what's going on. It's like we're in National Treasure with Nicolas Cage and we're trying to figure out like who's the Antichrist is and where's the Mark of the Beast, you know, and when's Jesus coming back? And so when that happens, though, there's this overemphasis of it. Then we're really held captive to different uh, things happening in our world and headlines and newspapers and online. And so the other extreme, and maybe you fit more in this camp, is like you never go there because it just freaks you out. Like, I don't understand it. There's a lot of imagery. There's a lot of things in it. It's a pretty intense book at times. And it's like, pass. We'll just, I know Jesus. I love Jesus. And I guess I'll just figure it out whenever it happens. We'll just, we'll go there. Um, And so our heart though, is when those things happen, you miss out on the very formative truths that are in this book. And so we wanted to spend some time to lean into it. And so what we see in Revelation, some of the things are very, very clear. One of the things is it's a clear revelation of who Jesus Christ is, right? Actually, when John, who wrote the, the, the book, when he starts off in Revelation chapter one, verse one, he tells you what the revelation is about. It is the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's what one, chapter one, verse one says. It says the revelation of Jesus. And so when we look at the letters written to the churches, at the beginning of every letter, Jesus reveals an aspect of who he is. And what's interesting, and you'll see this as we come to the end of the message, who Jesus reveals himself to be in the letter is the answer to the problem that church is facing. Here's the thing you have to understand about God and Jesus, even in the Holy Spirit, they self-define. They make it very, very clear who they are, who they are and who they're not, who they like, what they like and what they don't like. They don't allow the world or circumstances or situations to dictate what they are, who they are. They make it very clear in the word of God, which is so important why we should spend time in the word because you can get a very clear picture of who God is because he doesn't hide behind anything. He's very, very clear. So Jesus is revealing himself to the churches, right? We also see that this book is about worship. It really is. It's the Psalms of the New Testament. We see worship in heaven, worship on uh, on earth. And the battle is, who are we going to worship? Are we going to worship God? Are we going to worship the things of this world, right? Satan. And so it's worship. But we also know this. It is a book written to the church. Like I said, we're looking at the letters written to the church. And though, though these churches existed thousands of years ago, it's not just for the church in the past. And it's not for the church in the future. It's for us right now, right? And so what we're seeing, if you've been in this series, I hope you're you're catching that. Hey, even though, man, they were a completely different culture, we actually have a lot in common with them. We deal with a lot of the struggles and the pushback that we get. And so the answers to their issues and problems then are the answers to our issues and problems now. And so we want to lean in. And the reason why we are calling this series Hearing God, because that's the key. In every one of the letters, it says, he who has a hear, ear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. So there's a very clear message that Jesus is communicating to us. And the goal is that we would hear it. Now, when John says the word hear, it not just means, hey, I heard it with my ears, but I hear and I obey. So it's both for John. So to not obey what God says means I did not hear God. So for us, we want to invite the Holy Spirit in this morning to hear what God is saying and then put it into practice. Because the word of God was never meant to just build a theology. It was meant to change your reality. Okay. So the reason why we make that shift from like, okay, I know some things about God in church to it actually is impacting and applied to my life is when I take it and I put it into practice. So, right. So Holy Spirit, let us hear what God has to say to us today. And what we're looking at in the letter we're looking for at is the uh, church at Sardis. It's Revelation chapter three. So if you've got your Bibles, it's Revelation chapter three. We're looking at the uh, letter to the church at Sardis. And as you read this with me, I want you to, and if you've been with us a little bit over these last couple of weeks, I want, your, I want you to ask yourself the question, um, what is not in this letter that is in every other letter we've covered so far? I'll tell you later, but I want you just, as you're reading, as we're going through it, I want to provoke you with this question. What is not in this letter 
that is in all the letters we've covered so far. All right, you guys ready? Revelation chapter three, verse one, here we go. And to the angel of the church in Sardis write, the words of him who has the seven spirits of God and seven stars, I know your works. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Remember then what you received and heard. Keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. Yet you have, a, uh, you have still a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments, and I will never blot out his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Let's pray for just a moment. Holy Spirit, we've come this morning, and we've not come to hear from a man, we've come to hear from you. So Holy Spirit, I acknowledge you in this room right now. I give you the room. Have your way. Cause the word of God to come alive to us. May we not just be hearers of our God, but may we be doers of it. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said... Amen, amen, amen. Okay, so let's call it what it is. This is a little bit different from all the other letters because um, this is a little more harsh of a letter than what we've seen come out to other churches because Jesus virtually has nothing good to say about this church, right? Like in the other letters, we see him kind of employing like the compliment sandwich. You know, have you ever had that done to you? Have you done that where you like say something nice about somebody, then correct them and then say something nice again? Like, hey, listen, you're a really good person and people really like you. You're horrible at your job. And you better change, you're gonna get fired. But you dress really well, so that's something. Like, you ever had someone do that before? Pastors are notorious for this. We actually overemphasize. If you ever meet with a pastor and they have to correct you, sometimes we are so encouraging that you don't even hear the correction we bring and you think you're awesome. And we're like, no, you're the devil, you know? And it's like. <laughs> So Jesus doesn't employ that here. Like he doesn't, right? It, it, there's no, there's no, I commend you for blank. There is none of this. And so as I read this letter and as I give you that heads up, because I'm going to try to keep it light this morning. I mean, you're here on a sunny morning and beautiful weather adventure, right? So at the same time, the scripture is the scripture. And so we want to allow it to hit us and to change us and to, and to shape us. But let me say this about it as we get into it. Though he has nothing good to say, and he has um, correction, Jesus loves this church. He loves the people in this church. He's for the people in this church. And because he loves them and cares about them, he's going to bring correction. Because in Hebrew chapter 12, it says, God disciplines only those he loves, right? And so God, and God's heart is always restoration. It's always bringing people back to himself, right? So when we even see in all of these letters, when even though when Jesus brings correction and he brings correction to all of the churches, except for two of them, uh, he gives them a way to change and he gives them time to change. So God always gives you a chance. He says, okay, listen, this is where you're at. This is what you need to do to get back to where you need to be. And I'm going to give you time, but there will be a moment where I will come back and I will hold you accountable. And so there's this loving God that comes and he speaks to this church. And so in order to better understand the, the letter to the church in Sardis, we have to have a moment to understand the history of the city it was in. Because the history and, and the words that Jesus uses to this letter would trigger memories of what happened to the city in the past. So Sardis at one point was part of a, a Lydian empire. Uh, Sardis itself was its capital, very wealthy uh, city. It had a run of about 100 years. So it was one of the most important ones in that region, full of resources, specifically gold. It actually had a river that went through uh, the, the city that would bring with it gold. And literally gold dust would be like all over, uh, all over the banks of the river. And its last king's name was King Croesus, And he was a very, very wealthy man because of all the resources. And so there was this point in their history where there was this emerging empire called the Persians led by a man named Cyrus. You would see him mentioned actually in the Old Testament. Uh, knowing full well of the resources in Lydia and specifically Sardis, he set out to conquer it. And so there's a moment where Croesus and Cyrus are going to battle. And at one point, uh, Croesus uh, retreats to the city of Sardis. And why that's important is because the city, he had built the capital uh, on a very high Acropolis. So Acropolis was a very high area where he would build this city. And because of how it sat on the, on the mountain, it was virtually impossible to overtake. 
because no army could come alongside of it because of how steep the cliffs were. There was no way for an army to overtake it. In fact, historians would say that to take over Sardis would be doing the impossible. So, so Croesus, he retreats with his men and his people to the city and uh, Cyrus comes and he lays siege to the city. But Croesus is not worried. He has walls that are seemingly un, uh, impossible to scale. Uh, he has resources. He can wait out the Persian empire. But there's this moment, history says, where there was one Persian soldier and he was, he was looking at one particular wall on the city and he noticed that there was only one sentry there, only one person watching on the wall. And because there's, there's only one because the, the Sardinians believed that you could never scale that wall. So they only put one person. And as he watched and looked at the wall, he saw the, the soldier, uh, the Sardinian soldier lean over and his helmet fell to the ground, all the way to the base. And he watched as the man went down the wall and went out a secret tunnel by the wall, got his helmet and went back up. And there he found the opening to the city. So he goes back to Cyrus and Cyrus plans this attack. He sends all of his army to the opposite side of that wall to draw all the soldiers there. And at night he sent in some military, some special ops guys to go in through the, the one side. And overnight he took over the city. The city that was once great and beautiful and powerful was taken over like that. They were asleep and they awoke to full invasion. Croesus had pulled back and was passive, neutral and complacent, even though there was an army surrounding him at the bottom, right? He, he, he was at war, but he wasn't acting like it. And as a result, like a thief in the night, Cyrus comes and takes the city. The reason why that's important for us to know is because the church in Sardis had a similar arc as the city did. At one point, the city was alive. It was health. This church was alive. It was healthy. God was doing things. It was incredible. People were getting saved. People were getting baptized. Uh, they would gather. The word is being preached. The Holy Spirit was moving. It was a live, healthy, moving church. But over time, it got, fell asleep. Over time, it became passive and neutral. Over time, it pulled back. It did not push forward. Over time, it rested on what God used to do or once did in its past, but no longer pursued anything else. It was uh, surrounded by a culture that was waging war on the message of Jesus, but it was doing nothing about it. And it acted like it was not. And so it was to this city that Jesus writes this letter. It's to this church that Jesus writes this Letter. And again, let's look at the first two verses again. The first verse, excuse me. It says, Into the angel of the church in Sardis write the words of him who has the seven spirits of God and seven stars. I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. So again, remember, Jesus reveals who he is, right? In the beginning of every letter, he says, listen, I'm the one with the seven spirits and the seven stars. What are the seven spirits? It could be translated the sevenfold spirit. It is the Holy Spirit. He says, I have the Holy Spirit. And actually in Isaiah, you don't have to turn that. I'm going to read it to you. In Isaiah chapter 11, it speaks to the interaction, the partnership that Jesus has with the Holy Spirit. It says this, and the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. Jesus is saying, I have at my disposal the Holy Spirit. And because I have the Holy Spirit, I know very, very well what's going on in your church. I don't just see it at a surface level. I just don't see your actions. I actually see everything. I'm very aware where you are and where you are not. And because I'm aware of that, I can speak to your situation very, very clearly. And then he goes, I'm the one with the seven stars, the seven stars representing the seven churches. Some would say it's the angel of each church. Some would say it's the leader of every church. The God is saying, listen, I, I have the stars. I am the one responsible for the church. I have the authority over every church. Therefore, I will speak to the leaders of these churches. So Jesus, he challenges me. He puts his position of authority of where he is at. I know full very well where you are. I have authority over the leaders of your churches. And therefore, I'm going to speak to your situation. He goes, listen, I'm very aware uh, of your works uh, and you seem like you have a good reputation that you're alive, but you're dead. He's saying, listen, it's not a church that isn't doing stuff. Like it's doing church, 
right? It still gathers. There's still a message. They're, they're still doing things in their communities. They're still having backpack drives. Like, like they have programs. And so uh, they're doing things. It's not like they're not meeting. They're, they're doing church things. And it, enough to where it actually says, he says like your reputation in the city, in the community is a good one. Like they think you're alive. They think you're a good church. Like they're like, hey, look, they're adding value to our community. They're doing a great job and they're getting praise from their city. He says, but to me, my assessment is that you're dead. What does dead mean? He's not talking about physically dead. He's talking about the spiritual, uh, the spirituality of that church. He's like, there's no life in your church. You're doing things and you're masking it with faithfulness, but there's the Holy Spirit, the sevenfold spirit, he's not present anymore. The one who gives counsel, the one who gives wisdom and understanding, the one who brings the fear of the Lord, that one is not evident in your gatherings. People are not being converted. People are not experiencing the revelation of Jesus Christ anymore. There are not this genuine conversions happening. There is no life in you. It looks on the outside like there is, but there isn't on the inside. And anything that's dead, have you ever been around something that's dead? It stinks, right? And no one likes to be around anything that stinks, right? Like there are, there's a place in my house that I never go to because it stinks all the time. And that is my children's bathroom. We have two bathrooms in our house. We have one in our room and then one in our children's room. And I never go into it because it smells so bad. It smells like a porta potty that's been in 90 degree weather for like 10 days. And I don't get it. I mean, I get, I fail as a father. My sons, I can't hit the toilet right. I don't know what it is. Krill, he'll, he'll use the restroom. He's peeing. I'll be like, Krill, he'll just turn. He doesn't turn his head. He turns his whole body. What? Just, and Will will go in. And it, the smell is not an attribute to our like not cleaning it. I go in with a hazmat suit. I bring the Clorox. I bring everything. And then an hour later, it's like, it still smells like urine. And I'm like, what is happening here? I guess Ford peeing in a corner. I don't know about to mess with me. You know what I mean? Just then one day I'm going to come and be like, oh, he's been peeing in the, in the, underneath the sink. That's why, I don't know. Like I, I'm literally, I'm baffled by it. But because it stinks, I never go in there. I never use their bathroom. If Gabby's in our bathroom, I would just assume hold it or go outside. I'll go to our next door neighbor. <laughs> Mr. Ray, hey, uh, can I use your bathroom? <laughs> it stinks, it's repelling. When something smells, it's repelling. When something's dead, it stinks. When it stinks, it repels you. God is saying it actually, it's not just so much even that you're dead. You've actually live a life that repels the Holy Spirit from you. Like it doesn't, you don't want to even be there. It's like, oh, pass. I'm, I'm not even present because you've offended me. The smell is, it's their dead church. You know, on the outside, they look alive. So he writes this letter to them. Now back to my initial question before we read the letter. What is not in this letter that is in virtually every other letter that we've covered so far? And the reason why I ask that is because I think the lack of it tells me why Jesus' assessment on it is it's dead. What's not in this letter that's in every other one is simply this. There is no earthly trouble that this church is experiencing. There's no persecution mentioned at the church that we see happen in Church of Pergamum. There's no uh, bad doctrine that's infiltrated the church that's trying to get it off track. Like there's none of that. There's none. There's no outside persecution. You have to remind ourselves that these, these churches were in cultures, this culture where like you worship the, all the gods, like you worship every God and the, partic the civic participation to worship those gods wasn't suggested, it was demanded. And if you didn't worship those gods, it was seen as treason. See, the Christians, they were, not, they were not persecuted for their faith in Jesus. They were persecuted for their exclusive faith in Jesus. Because they believed, hey, everything that you're saying about all those other gods, I believe about this one. And that was so offensive to their culture that it would bring on persecution to the churches. All the way to the extent in Pergamum, in that letter, Jesus even says, hey, they even killed one of your main leaders because of it. We do not see any kind of persecution happening in the church of Sardis. No mention of it whatsoever. No mention of bad doctrine that has tried, that the, the enemy has tried to infiltrate to get this church off track. Like in Ephesus with the Nicolaitans or in Thyatira with this Jezebel. There's none of this saying like, hey, there's someone in there. You're going in a good direction, but now there's this bad doctrine that's got you off track. No, none of it in Sardis. You don't see it. No earthly trouble. No persecution from the inside. No, no evil coming in from the inside. Why? Could it be because they're dead and therefore they are not a threat to the kingdom of hell? So no persecution is needed. No resistance is needed. You're not taking ground anymore, church. You've pulled back. 
You've become passive. You've become neutral, and you're no longer a threat, so he doesn't need to do anything about it. He's one. It was a church that's become passive. They relied on what God had done in the past and were good with it. No longer pushing forward, believing for God to do more, expecting God to do more. They had pulled back when they should have been moving forward. They had rested on past experiences and rested on simply just doing things and not believing and stepping out for God to do more. They became passive. They became neutral. Knowing full well that if they exclusively lived life the way Jesus' words instructed them to, it would bring on persecution. They chose not to. Knowing full well that they didn't, that, that, that stepping out would cause uh, uh, pressure from the outside. They did not want to disrupt the harmony that they had experienced in their city. Because if they would have stepped out and lived that way, it would have brought persecution. They would have been expelled from synagogues. And they would have been very challenging for them to buy, to sell, to trade. And they liked people praising. They enjoyed the comfort of just saying, hey, you do your thing, I do my thing. And so they pulled back in neutrality. They had watered down the message of Jesus so it was no longer offensive to anybody. It was Jesus-ish, but not fully Jesus. But you know what? I get it. I get it, Sardis. I really do. I get it. I understand. It would easy, it'd be easy to be passive. I get the temptation of just being like, you know what? God did do some things in my life. And it's great. It's good. But I think I'm good now. Like God did. So I have some wins and like I've etched out a life here and a living and uh, I'm good. I don't think I need to believe for more. I don't need to step out anymore. I, I, I get the, 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 the draw to want to just be passive. I get the idea of, of seeing certain fights that are starting to pop up in my life and fights for my marriage or fights for my family or fights for my sobriety. And because I see the fight that it would take, I'm good to just be like, you know what? I'm just going to wall up here and just live life the way it is. I'm good. I, I, I know I've got an army surrounding my city, but like, we're good. Like, I don't need to go fight it. Like, it's fine. I get the draw to be passive. I get the draw to want to be neutral. No one wants persecution. No one wants to become against, right? No one wants the awkward Thanksgiving dinners where you're sitting across the table from a family member and they're living a lifestyle that you know in your Bible says is wrong and they know that you know that. And so they're going to call you a bigot and a liar and it's going to be horrible and a, just a nasty dinner. Like no one wants that. I'd rather just be neutral. I'd rather be like, hey, you live your truth. I live my truth. You do your thing. I understand the, the draw to just be like, you know what? I don't want to disrupt the harmony that I'm experiencing. I don't want to bring on any other kind of resistance. So you know what? I think I'm... I'm just going to kind of live Jesus-ish a little bit, like a little bit of Jesus, but not enough to where people, I would stand out. I'm going to draw back. It's easy to be lulled to sleep to the culture's lullaby of just be passive. Just be neutral. Live your truth and let everyone else live theirs. Don't stand out. Don't step up. Don't fight. Just draw back. And sometimes we hear the voice of culture. You can't be judgmental. You're a bigot. This, there is no absolute truth. And it's, if we listen to the song long enough, it starts to put us asleep. We start to become dead. I read this verse and how I interact with the word of God is always like, I'm a big proponent of me bringing on God's and the Holy Spirit's inspection and like, like his judgment with, and not waiting for him to bring it to me. <laughs> I'd rather just bring it out, like, listen. So, like, I invite it, right? I'm like, listen. Uh, and so I read these verses, and I go, okay, God, um, am I alive or am I dead? Have I become passive? Maybe not every area of my life, but is there one area of my life where I have become passive? An area where I have no longer moved forward, but I'm satisfied with what God once did, but I'm no longer moving forward. God, have I become passive in my faith? Because, man, back in the day, Mike, me, we took risks. Man, we stepped out in faith, and we believed God, and we did things, and we believed that God would provide, and we did things that people said were crazy, but we believe God said we, we were supposed to do it, and we did it, and he showed up. But now, listen, I got kids. I got a 401K. I've kind of I got a financial plan going on right now. And, uh, you know, sometimes we, we, we position and we build our lives to no longer need faith. And so sometimes we've become passive in our faith walk. We become passive in our marriages and in our families and raising our chins, passive with our finances. We become passive in our pursuit of holiness. We become passive with our sobriety because for some of you, your marriage has been under attack and you know it's gonna take a fight, but you, you feel this pressure like, well, I don't know if I can fight it. So let's just accept the marriage for what it is. There's some stuff in it, but it's all, it's all good. 
Like, we'll just get through. We'll just get by. Like, it'll be fine. We become passive. God, if I become passive on marriage, I've been passive and it just accepted things for what they are. No longer willing to fight, just being. If I be, God, if I become neutral, not wanting to face persecution or having hard conversations or being labeled something, have I watered down the message of Jesus in my life to where no one would even know I am a Christian? Here's the thing about following Jesus. Jesus' ways are so countercultural. If you simply just live them out, you will stand out. So I'm not saying go on a posting war where you call out all of your non-saved pagan friends. Please don't do that. It never works. Shocker. I can't convert anybody. I keep calling them idiots and they need to wake up. And like, you know, and it's like, no one wants to be saved. It's like, yeah, exactly. You're a jerk, you know? <laughs> We've all done it. No judgment. I've done it too. So it's all good. You're in church. Come on, let's go. But you would live, the, if you truly live those things, you would stand out. And when you live the way Jesus instructs you to live, it will provoke a response to the people around you. It will. Look at the book of Acts. In the book of Acts in the New Testament, it's such an important book, and I would encourage you to read it. It speaks to the birth of the early church, how it grew, how it expanded, and how it acted and interacted with the culture around it. Every single time these people would speak or live, it had one of three responses from the city it was in. One, they either thought it was weird and they didn't understand it. Two, they either accepted it, converted and believed, or three, they persecuted it. One of those things is going to happen because it was so culturally different from what they lived and were taught. It provoked a response. And so when you live this life, it's going to provoke a response. They'll be like, I don't know, you do, Pastor Becky was talking about how they handle their finances. You truly live the way God tells you to live with your finances. People will go, I don't understand that. That doesn't make sense to me. You give what to who and why? That doesn't make sense. The way I treat my spouse will look differently to other people because it's not the way the world does it. The way I raise my children will look differently. You don't let them watch what? You don't let them listen to what? You don't let them do blank? That's crazy. That's weird. I know. No, it's the way of Jesus. And I'm okay if you don't like it. I'm okay if you get upset. I'm okay if you don't believe. But some of you, it's going to provoke something and you're going to want to know more. That message will, it's going to provide a response. So if I haven't experienced any kind of pushback or resistance from hell or persecution in a long time, God, am I flatlining? Now, it's not what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that this Christian life is always a fight. You wake up, it's a fight. You go to the bathroom, it's a fight. You go to bed, it's a fight. Like there's some Christians like that. It's like, you better gird your loins. It's like, oh God, you know what that means? Like study it out, bro. Use something else. Tell me to pick up the sword, not gird my loins up. My God. It's a fight, right? They're like, it's a fight. We're going up here. We're going to take ground. That's not what I'm saying. Because again, in the book of Acts, you see this ebb and flow of the church. There were moments where the early church experienced the favor and the peace of the people and they grew. And then there were moments where they faced intense persecution. But guess what happened? They grew. And then they experienced peace again and they grew more. And they experienced persecution again and they grew more. So it ebbs and flows. So I'm not saying expect the fight all the time. But if it's been a minute since you felt any kind of resistance or persecution, that's when I'm checking my pulse of my faith. Am I good? Am I alive? Right? I also think we have to be very careful that we don't label um, <clears throat> resistance uh, from the enemy with uh, bad um, repercussions of bad decisions either, right? Like the devil's under my, he's after my finances. I'm telling you, he's after my finances. I don't have any money. No, I, I don't have any money because I spend more than I make and I charge everything. I don't think the enemy's coming after me, you know? I think he's one actually. <laughs> Does that make sense? So we have to be very discerning of like what's, what's coming up against. But this is why some of you hear me. This is it. For some of you, over the last six to nine months, you've stepped out. You've, you've, you've felt a burden for something and you've started to step out and fight a little bit. You started to feel what I call as a holy discontent for an area of your life. It's for your marriage. It's for your, a ministry. It's for your life. It's for a job. It's for your future. And you're starting to feel it. And you started to take a couple of steps. And as soon as you did, you felt resistance. Something came, something happened, something popped off. And you're like, what in the world? Like I stepped out, God, like what the deal, man? Like I, I'm stepping out, I'm believing and I'm facing resistance. What's going on? Yeah. 
you woke up. Welcome to the front lines. Welcome for popping up on hell's radar. All of a sudden, it's scared of you. All of a sudden, it's reeling. This, this, this person's got a pulse. All of a sudden, this person's going to start taking ground in their marriage. Their marriage is going to be different. Their kids are going to be different. Their finances are going to be different. Welcome. Yeah. You better believe it. That's how I should change my mind about it. If I'm feeling resistance from the kingdom of hell, I'm facing persecution, I'm going in the right direction. I'm actually a threat now. Listen, Jesus Christ did not die to make you safe. He died to make you dangerous to the kingdom of hell. He died for you to take ground in your family and in your marriage and in your city and in your school and in your state. He's called you to push back the the armies of darkness. And guess what? I don't have to be afraid of the enemy and his attacks. I need to be aware of them, but I have the, the, the greater one on the inside of me. Actually, in Revelation, it says, I overcome through the blood of the lamb and the word of my testimony. And scripture says to the one who conquers, who, how do you conquer is when I hear and I obey. So devil, you can throw whatever you want at me. I'm going to hear and obey and I will conquer. I don't need to be afraid of you. I'm going to fight for my marriage. I'm going to fight for my family. I'm going to fight for my children. I'm going to fight for the dreams you give me. I'm going to fight for my sobriety. I'm going to fight for my freedom. We step out. We wake up. We're like, no, 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 no. I, I understand what's going on here. Yeah, you're, you're, you're popping up on hell's radar now. That's a good thing. The church had gotten to a place, though, where it it pulled back. And Jesus now gives the way out. And he says this. He says, wake up. This is verse 2. Wake up, strengthen what remains and is about to die. It's not dead yet. You still got life. We're not there yet. Right? We're not calling the coroners. Time of death. You know, call it. No, we're not there yet. We're getting there, but we're not. For I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Remember then what you received and heard. Keep it and repent. And If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief. And you will not know at what hour I come against you. What is our response to a God that says, hey, listen, you're dead now. You need to be alive. He says, wake up. Strengthen that which remains. And remember and repent. Like, wake up. Have you ever been woken up in the middle of the night and you're trying to catch your bearings? Like, if you're a parent, you know that feeling, right? You know that feeling of being woken up in the middle of the night where you're just like, what's going on? Like, that is like, we have four children. And so at least five of the seven nights, somebody is waking up for some reason. I got to pee. I need water. I had a bad dream. I don't know what it is. And you know what's so funny is that they only come to me to wake me up. They never go to Gabrielle. I don't know if they had a meeting when I wasn't there. And just decided, like with her and Gabby, was like, hey, listen, if you've got to get up in the middle of the night, daddy's your guy. <laughs> they literally have to walk by Gabby's side of the bed to get to my side of the bed. <laughs> She's right there. She's the closest point. They walk to me. And I don't know how your children wake you up. I don't know if they're like, daddy, daddy, or they nudge you. My children just awkwardly stand over me like this. <laughs> like children of the corn, just like looking at me. And the way I wake up is I kind of feel this presence like over me. And I wake up and there's a child with a blanket. I'm like, oh God, what is happening right now? Like, what, how long have you been there, you know? <laughs> but when you wake up in the middle of the night, you're trying to catch your bearings, right? I'm like, I'm like oh, what, what time is it? Is it light? Is it dark? Like, which twin are you? I don't, I don't care. You know what I mean? I feel their pants. Did you pee? You know what I mean? Like, I'm trying to like, you know, you're trying to like, where am I? Who am I? You know, and it's like, why did I go to Gabby? You know, and I'm just like, you catch your bearings. You have a moment. You're like, okay, I got to assess. Where am I at? Okay. Let's go, right? Like, that's what Jesus is saying. It's like, you've been asleep. And so there's a lot of things that have been decimated in your life. So you first need to wake up and get an honest assessment of where you're at. Invite the Holy Spirit, the sevenfold spirit, the one who has understanding and wisdom, the one who brings the fear of the Lord. Let the Holy Spirit bring the fear of the Lord back into my life. The passivity gets me to a place where I don't think what I do matters to God. And the fear of the Lord goes, no, what I do does matter to God. He cares about it. So you invite church, the Holy Spirit into your life and go, wake me up. Show me the areas where I've been passive. Show me the areas where I've become neutral, God. Awaken me. Let me catch my bearings. There's a lot of people around you. You come to church and go, oh, they got a good marriage. or they got things going on. But you know that ain't true. You know that's, that's not happening. Holy Spirit, come wake it up right now. Let me catch my bearings. So he says, wake up. Strengthen what remains. Back in 17 AD, Sardis had a, a catastrophic earthquake. It would have leveled the city. 
And so it was years where they had to clear out all the debris, but there were some parts left. And so they would spend years then building on what had remained. Jesus is saying, listen, some of you, your faith has been decimated. Your walk has been decimated, but there's still some left. So find out where you are at after you wake up and then build back upon it. So what area of our life I've been passive or what area of my life where I'm feeling resistance? Let's get some scriptures. Let's, let's memorize and meditate on the word of God that will begin to rebuild from a foundational standpoint what God says about purity, about God says about holiness, about God says about marriage, family, uh, money, hope, dreams, what God says about integrity. Like build those things up. And bring people around you to shore them up. Bring godly mentorship to speak to those areas of my life because I can't just do it on my own. I need help. So that's why we have a church where people come alongside and we, we can get involved into a city group with people going in the same direction and they can encourage us. And over time of spending time in my word and time with Jesus and including other people in the journey, I begin to rebuild on what remains. Yes, it's okay. Listen, you are, this church is not full of people with full up cities. It's full of people with decimated walls and homes. And we are in the process of God rebuilding those things. And so we invite you to join and be a part of that. We're not perfect. This is not a, this is not a call to live a perfect life, church. It's called to live just an authentic one. Which means authentic means I'm fully assessing where I am and where I am not. And where I am not, I invite the Holy Spirit in to do what only he can do. And then when he does what only he can do, I do what only I can do. What he's called me to do. Which is build on what? remains, right? Wake up. Remember, uh, strengthen what remains and remember. He says, remember, remember what you've heard in the past and what you experienced. Remember the message of Jesus. Get it back to what it really was. Remember that the one who taught it, Jesus himself was crucified for his message in his life. He actually said, Jesus said, he said, listen, the student is no greater than the teacher. If they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. So I know that. But also remember, he says, remember what you experienced. Remember those moments in God's presence where you experienced God, where he spoke to you, he ministered to you, and he did do something. And the devil's got you to live passive and neutral again because he's kind of somehow convinced you that it really wasn't God, that was emotion. Nope, that was God. He did something in your life. He deposited something on the inside of you. And you remember not to be satisfied. You remember to be hungry again. So the way it works with God is when I have moments in his presence, in his word, I am satisfied, yet I am still hungry for more. I'm growing, yet I still realize I need to grow some more. In fact, I would say that if there's an area of my life where I feel like I don't need to grow anymore, I've got it. That is an area where I've stopped growing. Because the more I grow, the more I know I need to grow. And Holy Spirit is a way to satisfy, yet still cause even more of a hunger on the inside of us. Wake up, build on what remains. Remember, and then repent. Repent. Change the way you see it. Change the way you think about things. Uh, and because when I change the way I think and I see, it changes my actions. Change the way I see about the calling that God has on my life. The way I see persecution. That early church, actually, they actually celebrated and rejoiced when they got persecuted. Now, they prayed still for boldness and courage, but they're like, yeah, finally, like we're worthy enough to follow Jesus because someone actually yelled at us. <laughs> like change the way you think about your marriage, change the way you think about your family, change the way you think about your future, your hopes, your dreams, your sobriety, change the way you think about it, repent, return to the path. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. He ends with this. He says, yet you still have a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments and they will walk with me in white for they are worthy. The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments and I will never blot out his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. He says, yet in this dead church, there are still some of you that are alive. And he says, and I think that's important to know because I am not responsible ultimately for anybody else but the life God's called me to live in my family, right? Sometimes we get a burden and we get this passion, this holy discontent and God's doing it on the inside of us. We think it's our responsibility then to go to the heads of churches and the global church and to criticize them. Say, well, y'all need to wake up. God's done, that. God showed me it's you and me to wake up. And we, we come against um, authority. We come against the global church and we say big statements like that. Y'all need to wake up. You needed to get it together. If the church doesn't arise, California's dead. And so we think that, and, and I read this verse and I see what my authority is and what my authority isn't. 
Jesus says, I'm the one who has the seven stars. Michael, you don't have the seven stars. You are not responsible for the spiritual health of the churches. Therefore, you can't, com- you can't, you can't speak against leaders of church. Now, I'm not saying what they're doing is acceptable or not. That's not what I'm saying. God said, no, I am the one and I will speak to them. That is not your job, Michael. Your job, your job is to make sure your garments aren't soiled. That's my job. So even if you're in an area that doesn't seem dead and you're not a part of a dead church, you're part of a live church. By the way, if you know, we're alive. God's doing something. But even if you are, that doesn't matter. My job and responsibility is I don't get, the idea is that I have these white garments that represented holiness and purity. And also when a, when a, a general would win a great battle to celebrate, they go through their city and those that were with them would all wear white. It was a celebration of victory. The idea though, I have this white thing, and, but then when I, I rub up against culture, it stains it. So all of a sudden I'm no longer white. Part of what's culture has gotten on me. And so he says, your responsibility, Michael, is to live a life where that does not happen. Where you are authentically following and pursuing it. Michael, I've given you that authority. Michael, you can do that. That is what I've called you to do. I will handle the global church. I've got that. I have spoken to them. I will continue to speak to them and I will hold them accountable, not you. But Michael, I will hold you accountable for what I've given you. Me and my life, me and my family, we will serve the Lord, right? So I will live a life. So he says at the end of it, when it's done, I have something to look forward to. I will have victory at the end. The book of life, it speaks of citizenship. Right In every city, there was names written and it would say, this person belongs to this city. He says, listen, your name will belong in the book of life. You will be a citizen of heaven. And he says, and I will confess your name. He says, yeah, Michael, hell might know your name now, but heaven knows your name as well. And that's where you're going. So bring on the persecution, bring on the tough times, bring on the resistance. And if I'm awake, if I'm asleep, I'm gonna wake up. And if I'm dead, I'm gonna wake up, repent, strengthen what remains, and I'm gonna remember. And I'm gonna get back up on my feet and I'm gonna begin to dream again. I'm gonna begin to fight again. I'm gonna believe it to be differently. I'm gonna surround myself with people. You become who you hang out with. So when you hang out with dead people, you just stay dead. But when you hang out with people are like, no, that's not true of you. That's not true of your marriage. That's not true. You don't, why do you accept that? You don't have to. And they come and they challenge you and it maybe even irritates you. And that's the problem with the, that's the issue with the world. It's not that they, they're saying you're judging you. They, they, they feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit. They feel God calling them higher. They feel God saying something inside of them and they don't like it. So they label it something that isn't true. And so sometimes we're like, I don't like to be around this person because they always speak life encouragement. Man, they're trying to, the Holy Spirit's trying to wake you up. And it gives you a bit different option. That's why to hang out with people that aren't exactly where you are, but where you want to be. You get around it, you see, you get, begin all of a sudden, I start believing for myself. I'm catching the bearings. I'm beginning to build on what's remaining. I'm remembering and I'm hungry again and I'm pursuing God and I've changed the way I think about life. And pretty soon that which was once dead is now alive. What is the answer to a church that was once alive and now is dead? Remember, Jesus on the front end of the letter is always the answer to the back end. So what is the answer to a church that was once alive, but is once dead? It is a savior that was once dead, but now is alive. He is the one that speaks and causes spiritual renewal. He is the one that brings the Holy Spirit that causes that which is dead back to life. And he breathes on you and he wakes you up and he puts a holy discontent and makes you wanna fight again. He reminds you of scriptures that you once heard and learned a long time ago, maybe at a VBS, maybe at a Christian school, maybe at a youth camp, a word that someone spoke over you and he reminds you of who you are and where you're to go. We come back to life. Would you stand with me this morning? Would you bow your heads, close your eyes just for a moment to have with the Holy Spirit. We've got some baptisms that'll be coming up here in a few moments. What a cool way to actually, what a cool Sunday to do it. It's a celebration of once being dead, now back to life, right? So excited for those that are being baptized. Proud of you, Sophie, for your testimony. That's how we overcome actually, it's through the blood of the lamb, the word of our testimony. So keep telling your story, Sophie. There's power in that. And the more you tell it, the more it will do something on the inside of you. And the more you tell it, it the more it will do on the inside of others. There's a moment where a woman has a moment with Jesus at a well. 
so changes her life that she simply goes back to the city and tells everybody what she did. And because of her testimony, everyone believed in, their, in Jesus in that town. One woman's testimony. Keep telling your story. Keep telling what God told you, what he did for you. It's a beautiful thing. For a moment, I just want, to, I want us to pray and give a moment for the Holy Spirit to wake us up. Now again, the Holy Spirit doesn't come where he's not invited. He is one that needs to be invited. Now I've invited him corporately into this moment, but I, right now is, I'm gonna be quiet for a moment and I want you to invite him if you want. Now you better be ready, okay? That's what I'm telling you. <laughs> like if you don't want him to come, you don't wanna be awakened, then don't, don't say it. But if you're ready and what do you want? Because it's gonna change the way you see and how you live and you're not gonna be content anymore with the way it used to be. And it's gonna move you to do something. So if you're ready for that, right now, Holy Spirit, with your own words, Holy Spirit, come, we invite you in. Wake us up. Forgive us, Father. We repent corporately, God. We repent for what, the things that we've pulled back from, the areas where we've been passive, the, the areas where we've become neutral. God, forgive us. God, we know you love us. We know you care about us. We know you're for us. So we come. We don't run from you. We run to you, and we say, forgive us. We repent. Now we change. God, do what only you can do right now, Holy Spirit. Change the way we think. pray for those who have taken steps over the last six to nine months and have stepped out and they have felt resistance. They have felt hell come against them. God, I, I pray supernatural strength and grace right now into them. Fresh breath into them. Holy Spirit, thank you now. You're coming along, God. Your word says that when we are weak, you act, we are strong. In our weakness, your power is made perfect. God, I pray that your perfect power is being worked on the inside of them, God, that you are fighting with them, you are fighting for them, that they are not alone. You've gone before, you're behind, you're on either side, and you dwell on the inside of them. So God, they're not alone, they're not isolated, God, they have the very spirit of Christ that lives on the inside of them, and so greater is he that is in them than he that is in the world, and they can do all things through Christ who strengthens them, and so God, I thank you, fresh breath, fresh strength, God, I thank you right now, there's an affirming of what you did, they've been questioning, man, was that God, was that not God. I think there's an affirmation of heaven coming right now, affirming what, yes, no, that was me. No, I did give you that desire. No, I did provoke you to feel that way. That was my spirit. So right now, let it solidify. God, may it solidify and never become uh, um, soft again, never be able to be molded again, God, but maybe something so hard and clear and strong that you know, no matter what breaks against it, the, the waves of hell would come, but they would not be moved. They would not take steps back, but they keep moving forward. God, I pray that now. Fresh revelation, fresh understanding, new mercies, new every morning they would experience right now. I pray strength to them, courage to them. In Jesus' name. 
offer one more invitation. And that's for the first time to come alive. You know, all mankind, we were born dead. And by dead, I mean spiritually dead, disconnected from God. And the message of Jesus is God knowing full well what was needed to pay the price for my sin. He sent his son, Jesus Christ to die because someone had to pay the price. Listen, God, God, did not say, uh, God doesn't send people to hell. I was already on my way to hell. God saved me from it. He saved me because he sent his son, Jesus Christ to die. And Jesus Christ died. He was both God and man. And he died on the cross and he paid the price for his sins that he did not commit. No, I would have committed them. And I deserve to be disconnected. I deserve to be dead. I deserve to be asleep, to walk through life, trying to figure it out. But no, because of what Jesus did. And the way I become awake is the Holy Spirit comes and maybe for some of you right now, he's doing that. He, he awakens you to this truth. And maybe you've heard the message of Jesus before. You've been in church before. You've, you've heard about it. You've done the VBSs. You've done the church, the Christian school. You've had Christian friends. And so you've heard the message of Jesus, but the Holy Spirit comes and he makes it come alive to you. And now no longer, it's just not just knowledge in your head, but it's something that's do, it's doing something on the inside of you. You're beginning to open up to this message that Jesus loves you. He's called you. He has a plan and a purpose for you. And in order to take that step, in order to enter into that relationship, we have to, the Bible says, when you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, salvation comes. And you were once dead and now you are alive. You were once asleep, but now you're awake. And now that you're awake, you're alive. You get to walk in all that God has for you. And yes, I hope you've caught here in this message really what you are signing up for. Because it isn't a life that's gonna be just super easy and never gonna have a problem. There is a resistance that comes when you step out this way, but you have this promise that you're not alone, that the Spirit of God dwells on the inside of you. And there's a purpose to your life now. There's a reason for this. There's a reason to go up against the pressure. There's a reason to keep going through it all. Why? Because Jesus Christ has called me to something and there's a fulfillingness to it and there's a purpose to your life. It starts with the decision. So on the count of three, I just want to know who wants to make the decision. Who would be saying, and why I want you to raise your hand. One, I want to know who I'm praying for. Two, I think there's something about being brave. It was, it was, it was not easy for Sophie to give her testimony, but she was brave and she stepped up and she did it, right? That's what we're called to do, right? So on the count of three, that's all I'm asking. If you're wanting to make a decision to believe in Jesus Christ, that you were dead and now I want to be alive. I was asleep, but now the Holy Spirit has done something in my life and I want to be awake. I'm going to lead you in a prayer, but I want to know who it is. On the count of three, one, that's me. Two, I'm dead. I'm going to be alive. I'm making Jesus Lord of my life. Three, is there anyone here? Would you please raise your hand? Anyone in the room? So I look around. Anyone here? Scan the audience here in the room with us online. Oh, I see one. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you. Yep. Come on, church, will you pray? Church, will you pray with me? If you raised your hand, come on, let's say this together. What I'm doing is simply giving you words to what you're feeling on the inside. Church, let's pray. Say, thank you, God, for Jesus. I believe that he is your son. Forgive me, God, of my sins. I make you the Lord of my life. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's put our hands together for those that have made a decision to believe. We so appreciate you spending time with us. If you'd like to invest into what God is doing through City Church California, you can go to our website, citychurchca.com, and click Give. Thanks again, and we hope to see you at one of our campuses this Sunday.